Ephesians first chapter, it says this. It says, concerning what Jesus did when he died and when he rose again from the dead. He makes a statement here. This is the work that he's already accomplished. It's something that he already did, something he already did. Notice this in verse 21. Far above, this is what happened when he got raised up into heaven. Far above all principalities, power, might, and dominion, and every name that is named. So when Jesus rose up from the dead, he rose up victorious over all wicked power and every name. Everything that is just anything above every name. And we live in a society where... You know, if you're afraid of germs, they'll tell you what the germs are that are on that door handle. He rose up above all of them to a victorious position. Then he raised us up to that victorious place too. It says, notice this, not only in this age. An age is a generation or a time frame. And he said he was not only raised up above those things in this age, but also in that age or ages which are to come. So Jesus is not only important today and above all things today. He's above all things after this life. You know, there are other ages. Said there are other ages. I don't mean like 75 years old, 45. There are other ages than you are. But it literally means times and dispensations. So in the time we live in, he's supreme until he returns. But you know, there's another age beyond this. Not everything's going to last and stay the same. He will come back, and then there will be a thousand-year reign where he's reigning on the earth. And the kings of this earth and the rulers that have caused wars and damage will not be ruling anymore. The demon powers that influence people to drive them to do wrong and pressure them to live a certain way won't be ruling anymore. And he'll rule here for a thousand years with his people. But then that age will end too, the Bible said. And there will be a change because... There will be a, a whole nother group of people that lives on the earth that we rule and reign with the Lord over. But then there will be another age that starts that just goes on and on and on and on and on and on. And so when he uses that term, not only in this age, but in that age, he's telling us this is not all there is. We go and read history, and people think, well, you know, look at the history. And <clears throat> people think, well, what, what's in it for tomorrow? Well, depends. But, see, people only look at life like this is all there is to life. Now go to Ephesians, the second chapter. And we're going to jump into the middle of a statement of the Lord being raised from the dead, it says this in verse 7, that in the ages, the ages, that in the ages to come. Why would he tell us about ages to come if this is all there is to life? Is just you die, you go in the ground, 
and that's the end of everything. <clears throat> that this is all there is. No, he said, listen, there are ages to come. There are different time frames to come. And the Bible is clear about some of them. And we know there's more than one. We know there's a tribulation period coming. But that's part of our age. But there will be a change and it will be just a short period. But after that, there will be a longer age of a thousand years. But in God's big scheme of things, that's a long time. What's interesting is there will be people on the earth ruling and reigning with the Lord. There will be people living on the earth during that age. But there will be also people who did not choose right during this age that will be suffering in hell. And somebody said, well, I don't like the concept of hell. Well, you don't have to go there. But what we need to understand is there are other places in the Bible that talk about the ages to come. We live in a certain age, and there are rules that govern this age. And there is one who is above all in this age, Jesus. But there are other ages to come where things will change. He will still always be above all. But the influence of the enemy and the devil will change during that time. There is an enemy that pressures people. But though we know there are different ages, <clears throat> by and Christians say, you know, I believe that heaven is out there. And I believe that there's something beyond this. And there's something beyond not just this and our personal existence, but there's something beyond this age. Because some of us will probably and could live through the, you know, the time and watch the second coming of the Lord. We could really be alive, but that age will end when he comes. But Christians can say, you know, I believe in these other ages to come. But when somebody says they believe in another age, our belief is always really shown by our actions. Some people act like there is no other age. Act like there is nothing beyond. They, they, they say, I believe in it, but it doesn't alter their life. Then they've heard about it, but they really, it doesn't have its right place in them. They live like no one else matters. Like there aren't people that are in dire need that if during this age... And during this age, the Bible said, whosoever would call on the name of the Lord to be saved, there is no or little telling about the Lord who could rescue people from the future ages that would be bad, like hell, for them and set them on the right course. And people, if they really believe, will do something about it and live different. And so there are people who say, well, I believe that there are different ages, but it doesn't change their life. And it, they don't live like other people matter. These people many times live really more for themselves than they realize. And they don't know. These are the people that when they get into trouble, and I'm talking about Christians that live this way, not everybody in here, but could be somebody, and maybe not, maybe they're not here today. I said, oh, praise the Lord. But these are the people, when they get so uncomfortable or face a real trial, they go after God. They make a commitment to God. 
They go strong to do whatever he said. But as soon as they find relief, they drift back. They're more thinking about themselves than they are about the kingdom and the king of the kingdom. And they're not realizing really that this is important here on the earth today. And that it's not just about what I can get. And there's nothing wrong with you getting stuff. The issue is, does the stuff got you? Do you know what I mean by that? Because sometimes people get stuff and it gets them. And you can tell when stuff gets you when the Lord deals with you about the stuff. Like you get a boat and then all of a sudden you're always at the lake, not doing what you no longer in church, and the Lord deals with you to come and you don't come because I'm at the lake. I'm busy. That thing has you. You need to control it, not, and you may need to get rid of it then. Then you understand what I'm saying? You're supposed to control things. They're not to control you. When stuff drives you, because some people the Lord said, give. And they're like, okay, here's a buck. And he said, I said, give this. You can tell money's got you. Oh, not me. Then do what he said. Well, but wait a minute. It's true in every area. And But we're not living just for today. We're living for the future. Do you know the world is too? And they don't even know it. And we need to recognize that, you know, if we're that person that when trouble comes and there's so much discomfort, I'm back in and going, we need to discipline ourselves that I stay and serve the Lord because it's right to stay and serve the Lord because this counts more than just about me. Sometimes we won't leave our own comfort because it's more about us. Sometimes we should be uncomfortable for the sake of other people. Well, let's just look at another verse here. So we need to be committed by walking in obedience, really, to the Lord and partnering with Him and His Word. This is really the only chance we have right now. This is, this is it. Each day is the only day you have, and then it's gone. It's spent. It's over. You can't ever get it back. You know those old movies where, you know, the, uh, Twilight Zone. <clears throat> there was a guy, he would, he would buy the ages of people, and so he could live longer and live longer and live longer. And so, and then there was a lady like that there in one of the Twilight Zones. I'm not asking you to go back, but like the Labor Day, I think they do Twilight Zone marathons. Maybe, you know, you watch one of those and you see this one where the lady, she was like the Prince of the Nile or Queen of the Nile. It couldn't be the Prince. I guess today you could. And, um, but she was like the Nile Queen or whatever. And then somebody started getting onto her and looking, going, she, she looks the same now as she did a hundred years ago, because look at this magazine article, and uh, she was looking at this magazine article, and or this newspaper article, and saw her picture, and these old pictures out of old, old books, and they're like, she hasn't changed in age. 
And then they found out she was sucking the life out and it's how she got to look younger and stay young and she had been alive for hundreds and hundreds of years. That only happens in the twilight zone. <laughs> Somebody said, I live in the twilight zone. Yeah, you might live in a different episode though. Because you can't suck the life out of somebody and live longer. Each day you live, you spend it. Just like money. Just like money. You know, some people run out of money and misspend their money, and then they're like, man, I need this. And they're like, I don't got enough for that, but I want that. But they had been wasting their money and wasting their money and wasting their money. You know, so you, somebody said, well, you can always go make more money. Yeah, but nonetheless, you still only have the money you have, and you spend it. But the big thing about life concerning your life and my life, we all get the same amount every day. And you're spending it all the time. All the time you're spending it. What are you investing in? When you pray, you're investing in the kingdom but you're investing in yourself, too. When you witness, you're investing in the kingdom. And you're actually investing in yourself. I am? Yeah, because you laying up. And the Bible said when we sow to the Spirit, we reap from it. When we don't, we reap from the other. And so there is just something about realizing our days are being spent. If you want to be a professional baseball player... They will have disciplines through life and in high school and in college that other people don't. Why? Because they're spending their life for a payoff. And if they spend it appropriately, they can have a payoff later on. But they're going to miss out on some of the stuff that the rest of the people that we're all saying, hey, man, why don't you come party with us? Why don't you come hang out with us? Why don't you come do this with us? Uh, we're going to have a blast. We're going to do this. No, I can't. I've got to be up in the morning for this. Maybe we should think that way about church. No, I can't because I've got to be up in the morning for church. And in life, we know these things pay off, and then all of a sudden, the person you went to high school with is a professional baseball player, and everybody's like, man, you know, Fred and I, we were like friends. He sat like four rows up and two seats over in English. I think I shot a spitwad at him once. We were like this. I mean, I'm way over here, but, but I knew him. But what are we saying? We're admiring his accomplishment, but he is because he spent his days right. There's always a payment to something. And there's always a reward for what you pay for. Boy, wouldn't that be nice to teach people? But sometimes when you're paying, it's a sacrifice. Man, if you spend all your money on junky stuff, well, it's only $10. Ah, that's a great plastic toy. Got to have that, $10 there and $20 there. And you've got a, connection, a collection of all that, that junk. Think of this. When the day comes and you've been investing in junk, you can sell junk for junky prices. But if you've at least invested your money in good stuff, you can turn around and make money off of it. Right? 
people don't want old broken squirt guns normally and don't usually give a premium price unless it's the first one ever made or something. But realize we're always spending. I wrote something in the back of my Bible years and years and years and years and years ago. If you've got a big vision and you really want to do something, you better be careful how you spend your days. Because if you ever want to accomplish something, it's going to be based on how you spent every day, not one day. If you've got a dollar vision, it doesn't matter how you spend your days. Because it's easy to make that come to pass. And that's what you see in lives. And we do recognize there is a sacrifice. You're not spending here, you're spending there. But if you spend right in the Lord, you always get a good payoff. Always. And you don't just get paid off in this life. You get paid off in the life to come. And so we need to be faithful in these areas. We need to do these things. We need to support the church, which is the body of Christ. This is a local body. We need to be faithful in faithful attendance. Because it's part of supporting the body and his work. We're paying. Maybe you don't know, but you're actually investing in the kingdom, but you're actually at the same time investing in yourself. And we shouldn't just tell people you're investing in yourself, but you really are. And, and we need to be about the Lord's business we need to be faithful in bringing, inviting lost people and hungry people. You know, want to know something? That's where God's heart is. If we really realize there's another age to come, it does matter to, to follow His heart on these things and bring people. When we see people who, uh, you know, in the Bible, who God was moved with compassion, there was one time Jesus, the Bible, had just, in, in Matthew 9, just got done healing a bunch of people. And uh, you would think he would have been pretty excited about seeing God heal people. And then it said he saw the multitude that they were like sheep without shepherd, and they were weary and scattered. And he said he was moved with compassion on them because of that. That's where God's heart is, is for people to not be tore up by false doctrine who are believers. People starving to death because they're not getting the truth like they should be getting it. Or people lost and dying with no hope because nobody's told them or brought them to a place where they can hear about Jesus. We need to realize there are other ages to come and uh, there is no going back on these things. You know, I, I had a guy I knew I played baseball with in school and and uh, just died. I don't know how he did. And there are just people just put all these comments. Super nice guy. I mean, he was nice. I mean, as much as any of them were. And uh, people were like, oh, you know, rest in peace, rest in peace. And I thought, they don't even know. They're all on the wrong path, or the majority of them are, because you wouldn't just say rest in peace with somebody who doesn't know the Lord. Because he's not resting in peace. 
And because there are other ages and there are other realms and there are other things happening, whether people like it or not. And the sad thing is, is even preachers say, rest in peace. I had a preacher tell me one time when I was going to do a funeral, he said, well, just tell him this stuff, it'll bring him comfort. And I thought to myself internally, I'll never lie to the people because then I'm responsible for them because they're going to spread that and act like everybody goes, yeah, they're just in a better place. If they're not, they're not. And we can't be content and go, well, it's okay when we're the responsible parties. Because God left it in our hands. And so we only have now to invest and to do and to share. And uh, it's just the truth whether we like it or not. You with me? So we need to invest by bringing people, telling people. There are people out there that are so hungry for the truth, and they may not even know we exist. And they're starving for the Word of God and for God to do something in their life. And they may be even in a church. Anybody ever been there? I was there. I was in a church. I was so hungry for God. I started getting so dissatisfied, I kept thinking, there's got to be more. There's got to be more. So I went another week and another week, and I kept thinking, there's got to be more. And the hunger kept growing, and the satisfaction was not growing. And uh, back then, somebody told me, well, go, go here, go check it out, go here. And I was thinking, no, 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 that's not it. But they stayed with me, but there was something driving me hunger-wise that I finally went. And when I went, I thought, this place is different. I got the people all raising their hands and people all crying and acting. They're praying for people and some of them are even falling down and people are prophesying, you know, got a word from God and this stuff. And I thought, this is different. But have you ever gone to a restaurant and at least when you left, you went, I don't know what was in that food, but I'm full. I'm satisfied. I'm going to go back. Later on, you can figure out that, oh, that was this seasoning or that seasoning. But at least you know you're full. And we need to realize and be faithful to bring people and tell people who are hungry, you can come and eat there. You may not understand it, but you just come and after a while. I'll tell you what, if people would come and just sit here for a while, it would just change their whole viewpoint. And at least when they leave, when they hear other things, it's going to be a filter for them. Totally. Totally be a filter to them. And uh, so we need to be faithful to, to invite people. We need to be faithful in serving in church. Because that's God's heart is helping people. And it takes people to do this, it, to be involved. It takes a commitment. It takes an investment. It takes you planting. But God's heart is in this. That's why we do a next step class so people can get plugged in and so they can get started. Because this is, but it costs something. Jesus said to build a house, you, you know it takes something to build. And he said, evaluate the cost. You just need to know it does cost something. But anything you pay for in the Lord or give of yourself, you will be affected in a right way. It will bless and benefit you. Yeah, but that means I'll have to get to church early. You might be surprised how many other smiling faces there are. Investing 
in other people's lives, investing in God's work. We should give by praying. We should be committed in this area to pray for the church and the things going on. We should be faithful in our giving to support it because we're not just supporting this, we're supporting His work. This is all about His work, not my work. I came here because God asked me. I have people all the time, why would you end up in Arizona? Why did you go there? Especially people who knew I used to spearfish and body surf all, a lot. They said, why did you go to Arizona? We don't understand why you went to Arizona. I didn't go here because I just had a little, you know, map and I was throwing darts and, uh, and I hit Arizona. I'm like, well, that's not good. Okay, uh, best two out of three. You ever done that? Okay, I'm going to make a choice. Anybody ever done that with uh, this, this restaurant or something? And they're like, oh, I'm going to, tr- okay, best out of three. And they're like, oh, no, best out of seven. All right, I'll go. <laughs> McDonald's. That's not how I ended up here. I guarantee you the Lord dealt with me and, and more than once and for a while, and I knew. And so I did it. And it pays off for you or something for you and for people here and the other people who haven't come because I continue on no matter what the pressure is. We all should have that mindset. We all should have that determination and know that God works in us that way. And we should be committed and faithful to his work. Turn to Matthew 7. We need to understand there's more to this life than just this life. And there's the afterlife. And there are other generations and times to come. And, and we're, there are things to come. And how many of you uh, know that there are certain things that come in your life so you do stuff according because of it? I mean, there are people who are 20 years old who don't ever really have the foresight to prepare for their retirement. I mean, we pay into Social Security possibly or whatever, you know, and, and, but they don't think about it as they start getting older. They start going, oh, 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 oh. But their parents should teach them. Put some money away. But that'll be a sacrifice, but it'll pay off. We think about natural things like that. What about spiritual things? Well, I'm just, I'll just miss out on so much fun. No, you won't. No, you won't. You don't know. You, you won't miss out on fun. Anybody I know who's ever given their life to the Lord who lived in the world was like, man, I'm so glad I'm out of that junk. You won't miss anything except for a bunch of junk. Because when the time comes, we all stand before the Lord. And we need to recognize that there are things to come and we have an important role in how they play out individually for our own lives and in the lives of others. We live in this area, in this generation now, in this age, but while we're living in this age, there are people standing right next to us who are on a different course in this age. They're on a different course. And we stand right next to them day in and day out. Maybe they're hungry for God. Maybe they don't know the Lord. 
There's more people who stand around you who don't know the Lord than do know the Lord. You need to realize that. So if you just say, well, there just isn't anybody out there. No, there is. Look what Jesus said in Matthew 13. He said, enter by the narrow gate. Enter by the narrow gate. So he's talking about a narrow gate. You know, have you ever been places before? And you got a big crowd of people, and there's just a small, narrow gate. And you think, why don't they have a bigger gate? Why don't they have multiplied gates? But Jesus said, enter by the narrow gate. Here is the thing. The world is traveling a path. We all traveled on that path. Maybe some people are still traveling on that path. But he said, enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. Why? Well, you know, at work, I need to leave where I work because I'm like the only Christian. There's only me and one other. Well, that's true because that's how the world is. Notice verse 14, because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way. Literally means confined. Is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it or go in and enter by it. Turn to John 10. John, the 10th chapter, Jesus was talking about himself being the good shepherd and how he tries to lead his people and how he tries to guide his people. But notice this in John 10, and we'll read in verse 9. John 10, verse 9. Now remember, he said there's this big gate and there's lots of people who in life are just going that way. He said, but there's a narrow gate, and it's real confined, and it's real constricted. And we need to understand this in our life. There is a path that the world travels on, and there's a gate for them to get off of that path. Because why does it matter? Because there are ages to come. There is something after this life. And if it moves God's heart, it should move our heart. Jesus died and set up the gate. He's the one who put the gate there. And there, it didn't say there were five gates. It doesn't say there were ten gates. It doesn't say baptism is the gate. It doesn't say going to church is the gate. Notice John 10, verse 9. Jesus said, I am the door. You could say, I am the gate. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved, and he will go in and out and find pastures. He will find, what, what's he talking about? Sheep. What do sheep need? They, need? they need a shepherd, but they need pastures. 
They need to eat something that is satisfying, that will fulfill them, that will do something. And once you go in, you need to follow him, and he will bring you to the place of satisfaction. That's why it's an arrow gate. That's why it's a confined gate. That's why it's not Buddha and Muhammad and Krishna and whoever gate, because that would be multiple gates. That would be broad gates. He said it's a confined gate because he commands and says, I am the only way. You know, and there are people who say, well, I got my own religion. (laughs) I got my own way of thinking. Yeah, well, when it comes to God, and if you come and think you got your own way of thinking, and your own way is as valid as anybody else's, you're going to find out you're going to get in trouble. If you say, well, I can just come over to your house and come in. No, you cannot. That's called breaking and entering. If you come to my house and break and enter, you might find that you will then be in jail. You can't just break and enter on your own terms. Uh, This week I was talking to somebody, and I've talked to them more than once about the Lord. And uh, the person said, well, you know, the Lord's just going to accept me when I get there. I said, he is. And I said, so why is he going to accept you? She just took her fingers like this, you know, and crossed them. She just went... Because we're like this. She did. She did. And immediately I said, well, I'm sure that's real nice, but that's not how you get in. I said, and I held one finger up. I said, you got to be like this or you don't get in. She said, what do you mean? I said, well, you have to become one with him. The Bible said when you become one with him, it's no longer you who lives, but Christ lives in you, and then you are supposed to live for him. So if you just think being close to him and loving him and being wrapped around him like this is going to do, I said, you're not going to get in. And that's your own plan. That's your own idea. But I said, listen, the only way to get in is to become one with him, and that is through being born again and receiving Jesus. I said, you can't have your own religion even if you think it's a good idea. God's not going to go, that's a cute idea. Have you have your fingers wrapped around like that? Well, you come on in. I saw you when you said that to, to him the other day. That was hilarious. I totally, for that, you can come in. No. It doesn't work like that. You might be a clown at school, and it might work in school, but it don't work with God. Being a clown doesn't work with him. Oh, well, he's just so funny and everything. Oh, well, first of all, you can come on in because you're a clown. We need a clown up here. No, it's not going to do it. And we need to realize that you don't get to come on your own terms. You don't get to live on your own terms. There are ages to come. Here's what people need to understand, that this is a confined, a constricted path. You come that way by receiving Jesus. Then you follow him, and how you live your life here determines other people's existence. Did you know how you live for the Lord and how committed you are to him actually determines the spiritual climate around us. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. 
If the salt loses its saltiness, then where is the world preserved by it? In other words, if we don't live a certain kind of life, it allows for the world to cave in around us. Because there's nothing that restricts them from cussing anymore or acting the devil anymore because then Christians are looking just like them and so there's no standard. I've had people say, oh, I know you're a Christian. I won't tell you this joke. That's salt. That's light. I've had people on a job site, and my guys, after working with me for a while, I never told them don't cuss. After a while, they heard me that you don't cuss. And every now and then, I, I, the guys that persisted, I was a boss, but they would turn on their secular music, and I said, um, you, you, you can't just listen to that. Why? I can listen to what I want to. I said, I'm the boss. You want me to turn on Christian music? No, that's cool. We won't listen to anything. I said, thank you. But there were these people, they just carry on cussing. It's so normal for people to cuss today. But it's not normal for God and God's people. It hurts us internally. And so what I did with a couple of these guys when they just start cussing, I just said, okay, now I'm just going to be an equal opportunity employer, and um, you're just going to carry on like that? And so they would cuss. And so like somebody would just say, oh, Blank an F, man, this happened. And I'd say, glory to Jesus, hallelujah, praise the Lord, glory to God. So I said, every time you get to cuss, I get to glorify the Lord. So they'd say something, I'd say, praise Jesus, isn't he good? And they're like, all right, we're cool. <laughs> Why do I get to hear you, but you don't get to hear me? Why do you get to just ooze into everybody else's life? And I'm supposed to be the salt. I am the one preserving. These guys all knew I liked them. They would call me when they'd get in trouble and not call other people. And this isn't, you know, a, role, a, a sermon on how to be obnoxious. Okay, I got this. I'm going to do that tomorrow. Don't come to me if you get fired, too. But you know what I'm saying? But I did it in a lighthearted way so they knew that this is not acceptable. I mean, I've been in Home Depot before. Years ago, everybody would just talk normal. One of the employees started cussing, at, cussing and talking to me. And I just thought, this is ridiculous. I said, you know, not everybody talks like you and cusses. He said, oh, I'm sorry, sir. And I just slapped him. No, I didn't slap him. <laughs> I just was trying to see who was paying attention. I said, no problem, because I had people. I remember I went to one of my reunions, you know. It was like my 40 or 50th high school reunion. And um, <laughs> see, people aren't paying attention. No, it was like my 10th reunion or something like that. And a friend of mine who I knew uh, in high school, we were sitting at this table, and this one girl, she said, you know, I haven't talked to you a lot, you know. Uh, in high school, I talked. She she knew me and stuff, and she was just talking and carrying on. And she'd cuss here or there, and I didn't say nothing. And she'd carrying on, and she went over to this other friend, and she said, "You know, I really like Dave. I I didn't really know him in high school. Probably a good thing, or she might not have been talking to me then." <laughs> and um, she said, "And I was just. She said, it was just. I don't know. There's something about him." 
And this friend of mine said, oh, he's a Christian now. He's like a youth pastor or something. And she said, oh, no. <laughs> she said, I was just cussing and talking about this. And, oh, I got to go apologize. And he knew me well enough. He said, no, listen, you don't have to go apologize to him. He won't hold it against you. And I don't. Because that's not their problem. They need to know the Lord. And we need to realize that. That life does not go on forever. And there are things happening around us. Let's close right here in, um, in Luke 12. Because people live like there is no tomorrow. People live like there is no afterlife. People live like everybody else is okay, and they're not. People live like that. And we need to be committed to the kingdom, to kingdom work, to kingdom business, kingdom things, so that we have a, a body here that's in play the right way so we can reach people and facilitate their growth. You with me? Sometimes people say, well, I'd commit, but I'm just, you know, I got a lot to do. You're thinking more about you than other people and about the people Jesus died for. Matthew, or Luke 12, there's this guy who just kept living his own life his own way and kept living his life his own way, doing his own thing, living his own life his own way. And then Jesus said this about that man who would not live for the Lord like he should. He said to this man, because this man had his career, he was more persistent about his career and working primarily for his own retirement and what he was going to do for himself. And he even said, man, I'm doing it. He even said, soul, <laughs> look what I've got going on. He did. He talked to himself. You know, there are people who imagine they drive up in front of their house and they go, look at this house I'm finally living in. Look at this car I'm driving in. I have arrived. And they think that's what life is. We should be thankful. I'm thankful for the things I have. But this is where this man was. He was like, yes, soul, we've done it. He even said, eat, drink, and be merry. Let, let, just keep going, doing the thing we want to do. But in verse 20 it says, but God said to him, fool. Now, I don't know that that's an endorsement that you're allowed to call people fools because God called him a fool, but there are fools. He said, fool, this night your life will be required of you. You fool. Life doesn't go on forever. That friend of mine, super nice, you wouldn't think something bad would happen to him. Then you find out about a 20-year-old or something like that who thinks life goes on forever. And this guy was thinking, I've got this thing dialed in. 
I've got the machine working. I know how it's going down. We're just chugging along. And he said, you, you fool. He wasn't, living, he wasn't living with eternal purpose. He said, tonight, your soul will be required of you. You're going to die. Then who, those who, uh, then, whose will those things be which you have provided? And he said, people who live like this and live for themselves, he just tells you right after what they're like. He said, so is everyone who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Anybody who just lives for themselves is just like this. Anybody who won't make the sacrifice to go for it with God, and whether you're lost and giving your life to Christ and selling out and going on, or a person who holds back on their life, he said everybody who is like this and laying up treasures and working for themselves and doing things for them, he said they're like this and they're not rich toward God. So there is a life of being rich toward God. There is a life of being rich toward God. Because he said people who live like this aren't rich toward God. Wouldn't it be sad to be a Christian and living a life sort of like this? So then you have him, but you're not rich toward him. Well, what do I got to do when you get to the diving board jump? When you get the rope in your hand and it's time to swing, swing. When it's time to do, do. You'll become rich toward God. Jesus said this one time when the disciples came to him. And, and he had been talking to this lady about her walk and her commitment to God. And they said to him, they said, Lord, because they went into town to get him food. And they said, hey. Here's some food. And he said, you guys, I don't need that. Not right now. He said, I have meat to eat of that you don't know. And they even said to themselves, did somebody else bring him food? Just like food can satisfy your stomach, doing God's will for your life and being totally committed to it will do something to you inward too, just like food will do to your belly. He said, I have meat to eat of that you do not know. He said, my meat is to do the will of him who sent me and finish his course. Do what he said. He said, I don't even need to eat right now. There's a lot you could say about that. I wonder if people are just eating of so many things that are not satisfying in life and even food and other things trying to find satisfaction that they can't get until they really go for God and His will.